0: Shalom, this is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries. Welcome to Jewish Awareness Podcast, a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. On Friday nights at our headquarters, we host a Bible study. Generally, we do verse-by-verse studies of different books of the Bible. These studies can be viewed live through the JAM Facebook livestream platform on Fridays. If you have questions or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org. Email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919 275 4477. Enjoy the Bible study that God has with individuals through Jesus Christ. It's a personal relationship with God. Whereas the Old Testament, which it talks about here, uh, is not a book. It's not Genesis to Malachi. The Old Testament is the Mosaic Law, which was the relationship that the nation of Israel had with God. And we have taken those two terms and we have uh, misused them for centuries now where it is so ingrained that, well, the Old Testament is old, passé, done away with, and so on, and you know, we have the new and so on. We have one book, one Bible, uh, from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, so Jesus is the mediator of the New Testament. The new way to come to God. The only way that ultimately you can come to God. Uh, Not a book, but a relationship with God. He's the mediator. Secondly, Jesus died for the sins of those under the Old Testament. Uh, For this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, or what in Hebrews and what we often refer to as the Old Testament, or the mosaic law the mosaic covenant again not a book so jesus died for the sins of those under the first testament or the old testament the mosaic covenant so they could be would be redeemed so we learned that from this verse thirdly and we're going to consider this a little bit more than the first two before we look at how did people get saved in the old testament economy Uh, They which are called, you know, Jesus, the mediator of the New Testament, by the means of his death, he would redeem those under the Old Testament and their transgressions. They which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So, you know, the promise of eternal inheritance is is pretty simple. They had a promise. But a promise is not a reality. promise is a hope. It's something that, uh, in the future, will come to pass if the promisor is faithful. I mean, we have a, we have a promise too. What is our promise? Kind of like the same promise that they had in the Old Testament—glorification, heaven. So, and if the promisor, who is God, is faithful, will that promise one day be reality? Yeah. Well same true same truth with the with the, the Saints <coughs> under uh, the the earlier scriptures under the Mosaic law in Israel that type of thing there was a promise of this one to come and and as we get to Hebrews chapter 11 uh, it, it will tell us that that Abraham um, looked for a city built without hands that promise that type of thing but that's easy the promise of eternal salvation that they they they, they expect it as well but those which are called and I don't want us to trip over those which are called you know it might give the impression well there's only you know you know they, they, they've called buzz but they haven't called Bob or maybe they've not called anybody with the name that starts with a B what's your first name Buzz other than bu- oh you're still still in trouble uh, it, so, you know, uh, don't think of it in that way. Um, <clears throat> those which are called. So, so I put down a few verses that, that we should kids consider. And the first one comes from the earlier scriptures, Isaiah 55. And it's an offer to everybody. It's a call, if you will, to everybody. How everyone... And in the context of Isaiah, this is Jew and Gentile. This is men and women. This is adult and child. How everyone that thirsts, come to the waters. He that hath no money, come, buy, eat. Yeah, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. And this is uh, the introduction of an offer of salvation to everyone. And there's only one requirement initially to come, or or to get it. What is that? Thirst. In other words, you have to recognize your need. Uh, If you don't realize you're thirsty, and and, and when when we go to Israel, we we tell people, we're going to be in the desert, and we're going to be in very dry heat, and you're going to lose a lot of your fluid, and you're not even going to realize it. And so drink even if you're not thirsty, because you will become dehydrated, and you can have problems. And uh, years ago, you may remember Bishop Pike. Remember the, name, the guy Bishop Pike? I, I, he was a Catholic or something. But anyway, he lived in Israel. He should have known better. But he went down to the desert in the south and um, hiking on his own and didn't drink any water. He felt fine. But he was just dehydrating at a, at a, at a fast clip. And it, it, it hit him quickly, and he passed out, and he died. Dehydration in the sun. He didn't, rec- he didn't recognize his thirst. He had it. He didn't recognize it. And it was fatal. Well, everybody needs to recognize their thirst. And this is in a spiritual vein. Because what does Jesus ultimately say about the waters? He is the river of living water. Anyone that thirsts come unto me. You know, John chapter 4 and the uh, woman at the well and, and all of that type of stuff. Uh, so the thirst has to be the recognition of a need for a savior, of our sin problem. Because you never recognize the need of a savior, your sin problem. You're never going to come to him, so you have to thirst. But the point I want to make, it's a universal call. Anybody, everybody thirsts, people, some people, refuse to recognize it to their eternal peril. But the call is to everyone. Ho, oh, everyone that thirsts. And Isaiah 55 is such a fascinating chapter. We're not going to study it. Uh, Come ye to the waters. And uh, over in Jeremiah, uh, the waters, the living waters, is the God of Israel. Um, and, but, but notice what it says after that even. Uh, he, and have no money. You can't buy this. There's no uh, price on what is being offered, but you have to buy. Yea, he that has no money, yea, come, buy, and eat. So there's a, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you buy something, when you buy food and, and eat it, there's a transaction that's made, right? You take a $5 bill, you give it to the vendor, or at a restaurant, or, you know, or $10, whatever, and, and and you pay for that meal that you got, or that sandwich you got, or whatever, and there's a transaction that is made. Well, in salvation, in a sense, there's a transaction that's made. You have to buy. You have to eat. But you don't buy it with money. You have to accept it. It's a free gift, but you have to accept it. And what you're accepting in the end of verse uh, 1 of Isaiah 55... <coughs> Come by wine and milk without money, without price. Uh, wine and milk are the, um, the luxuries of the upper class. You don't, Most people, it wasn't easy back in those days to get wine and milk. Maybe easier wine and a little bit of milk, but certainly better than water. So what you're getting is very, very uh, good. It's salvation, and it goes on in this vein. But, but the point I want to make, how many can come? All. The call is to everyone. Everyone that thirsts. Everyone does thirst, but some don't recognize it for whatever reason. Jesus said, John chapter 1, verse 9, um, that was the true, John, John wrote, that was the true light which lights every man that comes into the world. Every person born into the world, God lights. The Lord lights. He gives that spark of understanding that he has a need of a redeemer, of a savior. The knowledge of God. We all have everybody born into this world. Whether you're born in the darkest parts of Africa, in the jungles. Or whether you're born in the uh, penthouse of the buildings in New York City. Or anywhere in between. You are given the light of the reality that there's a God. He has put that light in everybody without exception. Look what it says. That was the true light, Jesus, which lights only the called of the world. Is that what that said? No. He lights every person. Every person that comes into the world no, and, and people have referred to that uh, that we all have uh, until we're saved uh, a God-shaped void in our heart as it were that's empty, that we know it needs to be filled. We know there's a creator out there. Uh, we, need, we know we need to accept him and uh, oftentimes people will try to fill that void with all kinds of other stuff. Drugs, sex, political power you know, you know we, we were talking about political power in Kavanaugh earlier you, you, know, you know why the progressives the Democrats you know wh- why they're doing what they're doing is their religion is their religion you know th- they may give uh, uh, the externals of a Christian religion but they don't have the internal reality of a relationship with God and so everything is subjective everything is moving and so we when 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 you go against what they believe you're going against their religion and and one of the um one of the um i don't like the ordinances Catholics we call it sacraments one of the one of the ordinances are sacraments of of the uh progressive worldview abortion, you know. That, that you know that you, you touch abortion and you t- you know you're touching that which is holy, taking away that right. Um, and there's other um, you know sacraments they have to some degree. It's their religion. Um, so they are filling their void wrongly, with, with the wrong and, and other people do it with religion too, different kinds of religion. So, but the point is everybody's lit. Everybody's got the light of God. Every man that's come into the world has that. Uh, And Jesus said in verse 32 of John chapter 12, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Now, when it speaks of Jesus being lifted up from the earth, what is it talking about? His cross. His crucifixion. And ultimately his resurrection. Was he lifted up from the earth? Yes. Yes. And thus, because he was lifted up, he will draw all men unto him. It doesn't mean all men will come to him, but all men will be drawn. And part of that is through the, the, the God consciousness, if you will, that God is placed in every man. Uh, Romans chapter 2 speaks of Gentiles guilty before God uh, but by their conscience. Jews are guilty before God, Romans 2 goes into detail, based on the law that God has given, but both are guilty before a holy God. But Jesus will lift up, every man in the world is drawn unto him, doesn't mean everybody will come unto him. And then Matthew twenty two fourteen, 14, for many are called, now many there doesn't mean, uh, it means all are called, it means a lot of people are called. And we know from other scriptures, how many people are called? All people are called. So many here, there's a lot of people called. You know, billions through the ages, as it were. Uh, Many are called, but few are chosen. A lot of people like to use this verse to say, well, this is selective salvation. You know, everybody's called. We recognize that. But few are chosen. So God chooses nobody with a B name, but everybody with a C name or whatever the case might be. Oh, th- that's not what this verse is all about. Robert Sumner um, captured it, and there's other commentaries say the same type of thing very well. He says this, It is true that this parable, Matthew 22, 1 through 14, unlike the previous one, he's speaking of Matthew 20, 1 through 16, has an application to salvation. See, the previous one has no application to salvation at service. This one has an application to salvation. It is equally true, he goes on, that whatever our Lord meant by many being called and few being chosen, he placed the responsibility for the man's presence uh, without the wedding garment, squarely upon the man himself. See, there was a wedding going on And a man came in. He didn't have a wedding garment. He was cast out of that. Many are called, but few are are chosen. Um, And so he says he placed, uh, the king did, uh, the, the responsibility for the man's presence without the wedding garment squarely upon the man himself. Not the king, but the man himself. The shocked king, and he was shocked if you read the passage, demanded, friend, How camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? Why do you not have a wedding garment? Only people with a wedding garment can get in. And he was shocked that he didn't have a wedding garment. How did you get in without a wedding garment, the king asked him. (coughs) Sumner goes on. As we know from the history of oriental custom in our Lord's day, wedding garments were provided by the host for wedding guests. This man's lack was inexcusable and his speechlessness indicated his realization of that fact. A carmen had been provided for him by the king and he had refused to wear it. This in no way pictures irresistible grace or proves that theology of a general and an effectual call and, and proves that theology of a general and an effectual call. On the other hand, we might point out that the parable favors unlimited atonement since the wedding garment would have been provided even though unused. See, the Oriental custom at this time was there were wedding garments for everybody. And to get into the wedding, you had to take this wedding garment that was freely provided for you there and put it on and then you would come in. This man didn't want to put on the wedding garment. It was there for him, and he refused. That's why the king was shocked. That's why he was cast out. Not that he wasn't able to put it on. He was. He refused to. Fewer, many are called, but few are chosen. In other words, you wouldn't put on the wedding garment. You chose not to, so you're not among those who are part of the wedding party. One other passage. Romans eight twenty nine and eight <coughs> thirty. For whom he did, and, and, and I'm I'm going to put a plug in for Dan. And I haven't read his article. Uh oh, you can go out. You can you can go with the kids and they so. Our next issue of the magazine. I'm really looking forward to it. It's the winter edition. Um, it's salvation in three tenses. Do you realize that salvation actually takes place? And three tenses? Anybody confused? So, some of you are confused. And that's okay, that's not a problem. But that's what the, the, the book of Romans is about. Salvation takes place in three tenses. We have been justified, past. We are being sanctified, present. We will be glorified, future. Those are the three tenses of salvation. Past, present, and future. That's the book of Romans from Romans 3.21 through the 8th chapter. So our, our next uh, magazine is uh, on salvation in three tenses. And I gave Dan the, uh, the last one on glorification. And he's going to deal with a couple of um, s- subjects, I guess you could call them. Words. That are so misunderstood in Christianity because we read into it, or people read into it, um, and it's all in the glorification section. So I'm really looking for. I'm not, and you were saying, what are those two words? You want to know what those two words? I can just. <laughs> yeah, sure. If I don't tell you now, you're going to come up to me afterwards and what are those two words? Right, adoption and predestination. Um, and both have to do with glorification. That's the context of the passage they're in. Anyway, Dan's writing that. I've spoken about it too, but Dan's writing about it this time. And I know he's going to do a good job because I'm going to rewrite it if he doesn't. But anyway, um, no, he'll do a good job. (laughs) He'll do a good job. Hey, I'm the editor. I get to do this type of thing. I'm doing Romans 9 through 11 uh, and, and 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 the understanding of Israel in light of Romans one through eight, um, which I think you'll find interesting. I, I, I you know, I find it interesting, but I'm I'm um, prejudiced. It's my article. So anyway, <laughs> anyway, I'm looking forward to the issue. Um, it'll be out, Lord willing, um, middle of October, somewhere in that neighborhood. So he will be dealing. To some degree, I'm not sure what he's written because he's writing it now. He hasn't showed it to me. He's close to finishing, I understand. But he'll be dealing with Romans chapter 8. Maybe he should come in and listen to me. No, I'm just kidding again. Romans 8, 29 and 30. Lois is listening. She'll tell him, or, or the kids will tell him later. Oh, okay, he's back. You can listen to the, to the broadcast anyway. Okay. Um, Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow... He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And if, and, and if you put aside the preconceived ideas of adoption and predestination, it's not difficult to understand these, 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 um, this biblical teaching. It's really pretty simple, actually. But the problem is people bring baggage into it. And when they consider the biblical word adoption, they think of adoption in in 21st century Western world, or worldwide for that matter. Um, A a child is is born into a family, and then you choose that child uh, to be into your family. And then that child is in your family, because... Yeah, I want that child and choose, you know, that type. That, that's not ado- adoption. I'm not going to say any more on this or a lot on it anyway. That's not the biblical adoption. Same with predestination. You know, most people come to the word predestination with a, with a Calvinistic mindset. Well, predestinate, God predestinated some, the bees to be lost and the C's to be saved. Or, you know, whatever, you know what I'm getting at. You know, this person to be lost, and this person to be... That is not predestination. I mean, even here, uh, in the glorification section, for whom he did for no, does God know who will be saved tomorrow, the next day, next month, next year? Prior to the creation of the universe, did God know who ultimately would accept the Lord? Sure, he's, a, he's omniscient. So those for whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. When are we conformed to the image of his son? Not when we're saved. When we're glorified. When we're glorified. Justification, sanctification, glorification. And this is the glorification section that we will be like Jesus at that time. Um that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, we're not going to look at all of these. This verse is a close parallel to Ephesians 1.5, Romans 8.23. Notice those whom he foreknew. Obviously, speaking of believers, God is predestined to be conformed to the image of sons. That means we'll have a body like his and be like him. This doesn't mean we become God, Our body will be perfect like his, our thoughts will be perfect like his, et cetera. So glorification is not just heaven, although that's part of it. It means we will be in heaven, though, with a new body and we'll be conformed to the image of Christ. We'll have a body like Christ. We'll have a mind that's not affected by sin anymore. Uh, We'll we'll think only righteous thoughts uh, and so on. Then verse 30, moreover, whom he did press predestinate. Who's predestinated? Believers. To be conformed to him. Those who predestinate, he called. So were you called? Now, does this say, he, he, but he didn't call other people? No. All he's saying is those who are ultimately promised to get a new body in heaven have been predestined to be glorified. He called them. He called everybody. Lots of people don't pay any attention to the call. But those who do pay attention and respond will be glorified one day, and he has predestined them, he has called them, he has justified them, and he will also glorify them. So my little note here, God has predestined believers, thus he has called them justified and will glorify them. This verse does not teach that we are predestined to be saved. Believers are predestined to be glorified one day, and God has called, justified, and glorified them. It would be wrong to equate call with predestination. There are plenty of verses that say that God has called all men, like Isaiah 55.1, and yet not all respond. There are passages where men resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit. They were called, but they didn't respond posi- positively. So, what do we learn about the call then? Number one, God has called all people to be saved throughout history. Two, only those who call upon the name of the Lord, Romans 10, 13, are saved. Three, those who trusted in the Lord in the Old Testament economy were saved and waited for the promise. Hebrews 11 will go into uh, uh, more detail on this type of thing. But those who trusted in the Old Testament economy were saved and they waited for the promise and that eternal redemption. So the called here are those who heard the call and responded to it. James Burton Kaufman commented this way, they that have been called is not exclusive but relates to the worldwide invitation of the master, that whosoever will may come. And it's those who have responded that have that eternal promise. So turn the page over. So what do we need to know about salvation prior to the life, death, and burial, life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? We're not going to look at all of these verses, probably, because I'm looking at the clock. <laughs> so, but anyway, number one, the law never saves anyone. The law was never, ever able to save anyone. The law referred to in the Bible is the Mosaic Law. It's made up of moral, ceremonial and civil regulations under which Israel was to live moral thou shalt not murder thou shalt not bear false witness um, uh, c- ceremonial the Passover uh, Yom Kippur the Day of atonement uh, tabernacles the Sabbath those are those are ceremonies Religious ceremonies. And civil would be just how they would live and the prescriptions that God gave under the Mosaic Law for dealing with transgressors and that type of thing. So the law, the rabbis say of 613 parts, are made up of those three areas. Moral, civil, ceremonial. But the law as a whole never saved anyone and it's always looked upon by God the law as a whole uh, James chapter 2 verse 10 if you offend in one point of the law you're guilty of all that's why it's not called laws it's not the Mosaic laws it's the Mosaic law it's got many parts according to the rabbis whether they're right or not doesn't matter 6 of the 113 even if it's only 10 like the Ten Commandments uh, but there's a lot more than that. So what do we learn about the law from the following verses? Romans 3.19. Now we know that what things soever the law says, it says to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. So if you want to live under the requirements of the Mosaic law, what does the law itself teaches you? You're guilty. You're guilty. You're condemned uh that you you are that, that you cannot say I should go to heaven because I kept the law because nobody can keep the law. I, you know, I've said this before, if there are 613 parts to the law, you know it's like Bob, you're in, I heard you, Bob, incorrigible. Um, you know, there's 613 part, if there are 613 parts to law, how many of us how many of you can, can name how many of us can name all six hundred and thirteen parts? How are you going to keep the law if you can't name them? If you don't know what it says? Okay, let's make it. How many of you can, can don't raise your hand. How many of you can, can name the Ten Commandments? And you're thinking, well, I can get four or five or six, but I'm not sure I can get all ten. Well, how can you keep just ten commandments of God if you don't know them? Let alone 613. Every mouth will be stopped. You you kept the law? No you didn't. You broke this one and this one and and yada 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 yada. So it's not the balance beam. It's perfection that God requires. Deuteronomy 27.26. Cursed be he that confirms. That means carries out. That confirms not all the words of this law to do them. And all the people shall say amen. So God said that he gave the law to the people of Israel. If you cannot carry out the words of this law your entire life perfectly, you will be cursed. You need to recognize that and you need to agree with what I'm telling you. So the requirement of God is not 51% good and 49% bad, or 90 and 10 or 99 and 1. It's 100% perfection in carrying out the law. How many people are able to do that? No. Nobody. Romans 3.20 Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no, be flesh, no flesh be justified in his sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So will anybody be justified by the Mosaic law? No. None. Not one. The law though can communicate to us what? Guilt, sin, we're transgressors. We're we're guilty before God. Galatians 3.10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Quoting Deuteronomy 27.26. And this verse tells us that if you're trying to follow the works of the Mosaic law to get to heaven, what's the end result? You're cursed. Because you can't keep it. Galatians 3.21, is the law then against the promises of God? And the promises of God here are the same promises of God that the Old Testament saints, if I could use the word Old Testament, um, even the promises that we have when it comes to salvation, the glorification stage of it, that one day you'll be in heaven with a new body. Is the law against the promises of God? No, God forbid. Four, if, don't miss the if, if there had been a law given, which could have given life, <coughs> verily, righteousness should have been by the law. So if you were looking for a works system, do's and don'ts to follow, in order to gain heaven, God's given it to us. It's the Mosaic law. The law has nothing wrong with it. The problem is in the followers. We're sinful. Which ultimately, the, the next verse I didn't put down, it will go on and say, but we are all condemned as sinners. See, the purpose of the law, Galatians 3, 24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might just be justified by faith Uh, the schoolmaster in roman times was was the uh, was the the person who would take the young student uh, and lead him to uh, school get him there that was the purpose of the law to take us to christ by showing us we're guilty before god we can't be saved now the same can be said in the box of any religious system no religious system, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Baptist, Lutheran, Presbyterianism, Catholicism, etc., you can put down, who will ever save anyone. Whenever the teachings of a religious system tell you that in order to attain forgiveness of sins and ultimately heaven, that you have to obey the teachings of their faith, they're, in effect, instituting a law system. So even if they say, well, you accept the Lord now, but then you've got to keep on keeping on. That's instituting a law system. If the system of law works, that God himself set up the Mosaic Law. Can't save anyone. It can't. Why in the world Should we think that a system set up by men can save someone? Whatever system it is. Catholicism. Yeah, they're all listed. You can add more to the list. The law, any law, any work system, any religious system cannot, will not, does not save people. It is impossible. That's number one. So, if somebody says in the old tells you in the Old Testament economy ancient Israel that they were saved by bringing the sacrifices and offering the sacrifices and keeping the Sabbath and and washing the pots and the pans and 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 yada 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 and that's how they got saved do a do a 180 and walk off or better yet tell them you're wrong and uh, show them that it's by it's always been by grace through faith but anyway Secondly, people have always been saved by God's grace. Ephesians 2.8, for by, for by grace are you saved. Through faith, it's not our faith that saves us, it's God's grace. The, the tool or the vehicle is our faith. By God's grace, we're saved. Through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. God's grace saves us. Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputes not iniquity and in whose spirit there is no guile. Grace. Our transgression is forgiven, our sin is forgiven. It's covered because God, the flip side, will impute righteousness, grace, if you will, that that person would be saved. Salvation from the first person, Adam and Eve, to the last person at the end of the millennium, whoever that person is. It's going to probably be Bob's great, 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 whatever. No, no, because you're going to be a glorified body, whoever it is. That is always by grace. It's always by grace. Thirdly, people have always been saved through faith. Not works, through faith. We looked at Ephesians 2.8. I've got it down here eventually. But in Genesis 15.6, he, Abram, believed in the Lord, and he, he, God, counted it to him for righteousness. He believed. He had faith. It was through his faith that God gave him that righteousness that God saved him. Habakkuk 2.4. Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. It's true faith. Faith doesn't save us, but that's the vehicle in which God's grace is enacted on our part and we are saved. Again, Ephesians, uh, uh, Romans 4.3. For what says the scripture? Abraham believed God, faith, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God. It's through faith. Galatians 3, 8 through 14. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed, back in Genesis 12, first three verses. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law on the side of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith. But the man that does them shall live in them. The law is works. And if you live by works, you're going to ultimately be judged by those works because you're not perfect. And then verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The law never saved anyone. People are always saved by grace, God's grace. And we are saved through our faith. Our faith doesn't save us. God's grace saves us. And it's true at any time in history. Now, look at the box that i put here. Progressive revelation. You understand what I say by progressive revelation? G- God didn't take this book, Bible, and drop it out of the sky in one piece. This Bible is written roughly over a period of 1600 years by multiple authors Moses Joshua David um, Solomon the prophets John Peter Paul you know you go all kinds of authors over roughly a 1600 year period and so that means any particular doctrine was revealed to us progressively I know in in in, in 21st century America, we don't want to be considered progressive. Uh, but th- in this context, it's not a bad understanding. In other words, God, He didn't, he, you know, it wouldn't have been nice if He said, okay, I'm going to give you a book on the family. And everything we know to know about marriage and the family, you know, we'd find in the book on the family. Instead of we have to go to Genesis, we have to go to Ephesians, and we have to go to Thessalonians, we have to go here, and we have to go there. And then when you get the, the prophecy on about angels, you know, wouldn't it wouldn't be nice to have a, have a book on angels in the Bible? You know we, we don't. You know we, have, we we're introduced to angels in Genesis. We're introduced to angels in, the, in Isaiah and, and, and in the book of Luke and you know, all over the place. So you got to go searching to put it all together. And so over time you get all this revelation on angels, on marriage, on, uh, what was the other thing I had mentioned? Um, Whatever it was. Uh, Well, salvation is the same way. You, You get progressive revelation. Now, the truth is always the same, but God progressively laid it out for us to understand it. So, progressive revelation leads us to the following biblical understanding of salvation. Four things. The basis the requirement, the object, and the content of salvation will help us to understand the issue of salvation throughout history. So, first the basis for our salvation. The basis for our salvation, or foundation of our salvation, or anybody's salvation, at any time in history Adam, Moses, Isaiah, Malachi, John, Peter, Paul. Um, I'm not going to put Augustine or Calvin in this talk. Um, I hope they're in heaven. Um, You know, you or me. The basis for our salvation at any time in history is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what Hebrews 9.15 is talking about. Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, by his death, he would bring ultimately to glory those who were under the law. Leviticus 17.11 talks about the the blood making an atonement for the soul. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Hebrews chapter 10, which will be there shortly, Lord willing, uh, by the end of the year for sure, before the end of the year. Uh, but verse 10 by the which will we are sanctified by w- by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It's Jesus' offering where we are sanctified forever. That whole passage goes into it. First Peter chapter one and verse eighteen. Uh, for as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your feigned conversation received by tradition from your fathers but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish, without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. We don't need to read on. The basis of salvation for anybody at any time is because Jesus ultimately died for the sins of the world, was buried and rose again. Now what's the requirement of salvation? Faith. That's point number three. Earlier, we won't go back to that. You have to believe. Abraham believed in the Lord; it was accounted to him for righteousness. Whosoever shall call or believe on the Lord shall be saved. As many as received him, to them he gave the power of the authority to become the children of God. For by grace are you saved through faith. I mean, there's there's hosts of verses on this. So. The requirement to be saved is to believe, is to have faith. So where is our object, then, of our faith? What is the object of our salvation? And this is where we'll get into in Hebrews chapter 11 as well. Um, The object of our salvation, any time in history, is God. Essentially, it's believing God and what he says. That's it. But the basis of our salvation is the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. The requirement of salvation is faith, believe. But the object of our, of our salvation, any time in history, is God. You've got to believe in, you know, you, faith is not a, a, a blind leap into the dark. A lot of people think faith is, well, I'm not sure it's true. It's kind of like putting a blindfold on and, and walking out with somebody you know, walking out to the edge of a of a hill, a mountain, and jumping off and hoping that you're gonna land safely. That's that's not faith, that's foolishness. Faith is based, there's an object for our faith, and that object is God and God's revealed will for mankind. So our object of faith is always God. God will not lie. God instructs us. God tells us. So that's our object, that we we place our faith in God and what God has told us. The issue here, then, is whether man will take God at his word and exercise faith in the provision for salvation, which he has revealed. See, that's the issue. Many are called. Lots of people won't put on the garment. For whatever reason, I don't need that. I'm too good of a person. I do it my own way. My religion's going to get me to heaven. Whatever reason, it doesn't matter. When we get to Hebrews 11, verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please him, being God. You can't please God if you don't have faith. For he that comes to God must have faith. Believe that God is Can an atheist be saved? No. You got to believe there's a God. You got to believe in the true God. So he that comes to God <clears throat> he that comes to God you got to believe number I mean that's axiomatic, that's foundational, that's basic, but yes. You got to believe there's a God. And you've got to come to God, and you've got to believe that, as Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says. uh, Come to God, must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, we're going to break this down in a lot of detail when we get there. But it's by faith we come to God. How many of you have ever seen God? Well, didn't you see Barack Obama when he was president? Just kidding. He was the Messiah. Okay, but Messiah is God. No. None of us have seen God. Not even Bob. He raised his hand. Okay. Um, In the Old Testament, for example, the prophets are always (coughs) called for the back. The prophets always called the backslidden people to return to God, not to a religious system. For example, Jeremiah 4.1. If thou wilt return, O Israel, saith the Lord, return unto me. And if thou wilt put away that abomin- abominations out of my sight, then thou shalt not remove. Come back to me, Israel. Hosea 12.6. Therefore, turn thou to thy God. Keep mercy and judgment and wait on thy God continually, but turn back to God. 14.1, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God. For thou was fallen by that iniquity. Joel 2.12, Therefore also now saith the Lord, Turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. See, God called people to return to him. Not to the Mosaic law, not to a religious system, but to God. Because he is the object of our faith. Salvation is not found in the Baptist church. Not found in the Catholic church, the Presbyterian church, the Lutheran church, any church, any synagogue, any mosque, certainly not. No, salvation is found in God. He is the object of our faith. A person doesn't need to return to church if he's backslidden. He needs to return to God. And when he gets right with God, then he's going to want a fellowship with believers and be under the preaching of the word. But you don't return to church, you return to God And then things naturally fall in order after that. Same back in the Old Testament. Return to God. So don't tell somebody, you know, you need to come back to church. They don't need to come back to church. They need to come back to God. And when they come back to God and they get right with God, they're going to go to church. Because they're going to want to be with the saints. They're going to want to be under the preaching of the word. They're going to want to worship the God that they have returned to and God has established the church, but don't tell them to return to the church, that's not the answer, if they return to the church the pastor is going to offend them shortly, or somebody in the pew next to them is going to say something they don't like, or something's going to, and then they're going to leave the church again, return to God the object of our salvation is always God, now here's the difference. The content of what we believe, what God has told us to believe, the content of our faith, remember the object is God, what God has told us, but the content of our faith has changed throughout history. Now, before we look at some verses in this regard, there are two themes, basic themes in regard to salvation, that run through the Scripture. Started all the way back in Genesis after the fall, Genesis 3:21, unto Adam and also to his wife, did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. What did Adam and Eve do for initially? They established their own religion. They covered themselves with fig leaves. They were naked prior to that. Well, God didn't accept that. What God was showing them is that there had to be the shedding of blood. I will provide your clothing, your salvation. Genesis 4.3, Cain and Abel. In the process of time, it came to to pass that Cain brought (coughs) of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought up the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. The Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had no respect. And Cain was angry, very wroth, and his countenance fell. They both bought, brought the best of what they had. Cain brought the fruit of his work. Abel, brought an animal sacrifice a blood sacrifice God required a blood sacrifice it was a picture of what would come so there's this theme of sacrifice through the scripture teaching people that you don't come to God by works you see it in the Mosaic law for example uh, and if you turn your page over Genesis 12 7 the Lord appeared on Abraham and Abraham said unto thy seed will I give this land he built an altar what do you do with an altar? You offer a sacrifice. Um, he went to Bethel, a mountain on the east of Bethel. He, he, he built an altar to offer a sacrifice. <laughs> All the sacrifices under the Mosaic law. There's this theme of sacrifice in the, in the word of God. You can't miss it. But then there's the theme of promise. A- in Genesis 22, Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. Abraham lifted up his eyes, looked, behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord. It shall be seen, God will provide Himself a lamb. At this point, He provided a ram. That's because this is a messianic prophecy in the future. In the mount of the Lord, God will provide Himself. As that lamb. Jesus. That's the promise. Isaiah 53. (coughs) Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. The Messiah. That's a promise. Even though it's in past tense, it hadn't happened yet. It's a promise that would take place. Daniel 9.26. Messiah will come and be cut off but not for himself. That's a promise. So you have this this theme of sacrifice, and you have this promise that God would one day provide the ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God for our sins. Now, that's the themes that run through the Word. There are other themes, but in the way of salvation. So, in the box now. Since the the revelation of God was progressive, revealed over about 1,600 years, we would expect the content of salvation to be different, because we didn't have full revelation, right? Just logical. But, based at all times on the need of a sacrifice for forgiveness of sin, and God's promise to provide that forgiveness through his sacrifice. That's underlying it. Romans 4, 1 through 5. Quoting from Genesis 15:1 through 6. Abraham believed God's promise of a seed. What shall we say then that Abraham our father is pertaining to the flesh is found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what says the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that works not, but believes on him, God, that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. When you read the story, and I should have put the verse down here, I didn't. In, in Genesis 15, 1 through 6, I want, to see, I want you to see what God required Abraham to believe. Now, prior to Genesis 15, did Abraham believe or understand there had to be a sacrifice? Yeah. Yeah. He built a number of altars. He offered a sacrifice to God. In chapter 12, which I haven't put down here, we've looked at the past, he understood that there was a promise coming that all families of the earth would be blessed, ultimately through his seed. But in chapter 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abraham, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abraham said, Lord God, what wilt thou thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold to me thou hast given no offspring, no seed, no child. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. God, you made a promise that there's someone coming out of my house is going to be the heir that you're going to work through. I don't have a child. I'm getting kind of old you know I'm like, Bob Bob you, you're just getting hit right and left tonight but you, you you can handle it. No he can't. okay, forgive me Bob. Everybody listening doesn't know who Bob I'm going to have that to have Bob sit up here next to me one time. so everybody watching can can meet Bob. <laughs> Abraham knows the promise would come through him. Witness protection program, okay. But he doesn't have a child, so hey, God, why don't you use my servant Eliezer and raise up the seed through him to be the heir. So what has God said? And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, unto Abraham, saying, verse 4, this shall not be thine heir, not, not Eliezer, But he that shall come forth out of your own bowels shall be thine heir. It's going to come from your loins. It's going to come from your body. You may be old. Hey, I I can do anything, God says. So God brings him forth, Abram, and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. What did Abraham say to God initially? I don't have children. I'm barren. I'll, I'll never be able to have a child. Take Eliezer. And God says, uh-uh. I'm going to bring life where there's no life. And I'm going to provide a child through you that ultimately that promise will be fulfilled. Look at the stars. And your offspring will be multiplied in such a way that it'll be like the, the stars of heaven. And it's not going to be as many as the stars of heaven, I don't believe, but in the sense of innumerable. So trust me, I made you a promise that through your loins is going to be the one that will come. And then what is, what are we told, verse 6? And he believed, Abraham believed in the Lord. I trust you, Lord. I believe what you say. I know there's a sacrifice that is needed, and I know you are going to provide that sacrifice ultimately through a child that is born to me. I believe what you're saying, Lord. And God counted that as righteousness, Abraham was saved. Where do you see in this passage... Anywhere, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You don't. Abraham was not to believe or called on to believe that one day there's someone coming who's going to die for your sins and be buried and rise from the grave. No, the content of what God asked him to believe was just believe that that there is a sacrifice required and that, that, that provision is going to come through your loins And if you believe that, I will do that. He did believe, and God counted it to him for righteousness. The content of what Abraham believed was not the death, burial, and resurrection. It was the knowledge that he needed a savior from sin, and God would provide that. That's all. That's what we have in Romans chapter 4. Abraham believed God's promise of a seed, and God accounted it to him for righteousness. Read all of four later, but look at verses 16 through 22. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. It's to Jew and Gentile. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickens the dead, calls those things which be not as though they were, which against hope, believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken. So shall thy seed be. Abraham had no hope. Take my servant. God said, no. I'm going to do it through you, Abraham. Are you going to believe me? And Abraham believed in the Lord. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. That there was hope, even though he had no hope initially. Being not weak in faith, verse 19, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, either not the deadness of Sarah's womb. Humanly speaking, this is later on in Genesis, there is no way They could have a child. But he didn't consider Abraham. His age. His weakness. His inability to have children anymore. Sarah's inability to have children anymore. He knew. That God would provide. So his focus was not on him or Sarah. But on. The object of his salvation. God. He staggered. Not. At the promise of God through unbelief but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded. Fully persuaded. Salvation requires us to be fully persuaded. Well, Jesus might have died for my sins. I'm not sure. Could be. I know that's what it says. And No, no, no. The object of our faith is a God who cannot lie, a God who created the heaven and the earth, a God who is omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. If you can't believe him, you can't believe anybody. Abraham being fully persuaded that what he had promised, God had promised, he was able to perform. Therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now in closing, (coughs) Since the time of Jesus, the content of faith <coughs> has coincided with the basis of faith. They run parallel today. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Today, <coughs> we are to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. you Romans 10.13. Believing that he died for our sins, was buried and rose from the grave, Romans 10.10. If we want to have our sins forgiven and ultimately go to heaven. Abraham was saved because Jesus would ultimately die for his sins, rose from the grave. But the content of what he was believed was not that. His content was the object was on God who required him to trust him that he would provide uh, the ultimate one, the Savior, the Messiah, through him, who would provide, but he didn't know all the details, but he believed God, trusting God, who's counted in righteousness. Today, again, the basis of our salvation and the content of our faith line up. So to be saved, you have to believe in, have faith in, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus to be saved. So they were saved in the Old Testament by grace through faith as they trusted God and then what God required them to believe, they believed it and they knew that that promise ultimately one day would come to fruition, which it did when Jesus came, died, rose again that we could all have forgiveness of sins. That's what Hebrews 9.15 introduces us to. Why Jesus had to die. Praise the, Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. And so, any other questions or thoughts? Okay, let's pray. Cheryl was up a couple hours. She said she put a lot of work into the um, into the goodies tonight. And what are they? Cheesecake, apple or apple cheesecake? You got to have one you can repent afterwards and return back to God so let's pray. Father thank you for your blessings and love to us and uh, thank you for Jesus who is the basis of, of the salvation of us, of Adam, of Abraham, of Isaiah, of Jeremiah, of Peter, Paul, and John of anybody and everybody uh, up to this time and, and into the future <clears throat> who gets saved. And So we, we, we praise you Father for your son who died for us. Bless our fellowship, bless the food. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Shalom, this is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries, thanking you for listening to our Bible study. These Jewish Awareness podcasts are a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. If you have questions about the study that you just listened to or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org, email us at JewishAwareness.org, or call us at 919-275-4477. Shalom.